I feel like not a whole lot of introduction is needed for you because you're such like a figure on Twitter in the Solana space. But for the sake of like a comprehensive episode, we should probably get some kind of introduction. I'm curious to know how you would describe your background leading up to Helios. Sure. Just do the the lightning tour. Um, so I majored in math. In, I went to school in Canada. And unfortunately, I'm still stuck in Canada. I've worked at three of the five big banks in Canada. So doing payment rails, ATM stuff, financial stuff. And well, I wasn't a big fan. So I got a job at a unicorn fintech in, in Canada called ClearBank, which is kind of like pipe or ramp, if you're familiar with it in the, on the US side. Um, so there I also worked on some slightly newer payments tech. And basically one day uh, we, we were discussing how we can send payments to Australian entrepreneurs. And I suggested, hey, why don't we use USDC? You know, Ethereum is this cool network, we can use it. And basically their answer was something like, I thought crypto was a scam. And at that point, I started kind of looking for some crypto jobs because I was not very satisfied with that answer. And within a few weeks, I was working at Coinbase. And at Coinbase, I was on a team called the Financial Hub Team. And that team essentially settles all the payments and trades on the Coinbase exchange. So any any trades that you place or any fund movements from within Coinbase to actually, that's some of the stuff I helped handle. And I also, as a result, got to learn a lot about the different L1s and the different blockchains and scaling solutions, which is kind of how I found about Solana. And then I started just, you know, posting random stuff that I learned about Solana. And then, you know, back in the early days, Chase and Armani would just post or like reply to your tweets and then like hype you up. And then I just, I was like, okay, this is cool. And I just kept doing it. And then I just didn't really stop. Just kept getting angrier and louder, essentially. And to be clear, that still happens. <laughs> Chase and Armani will still get in your tweets and hype you up. Not not just yeah. specifically you, just like any person. Armani a little bit less, but like Chase does it all the time still. <laughs> It's oh yeah, Chase is, uh, Chase is amazing with that. He's actually an OG. So basically that's how I got into Solana. And then, you know, I, I noticed a few gaps between may maybe bringing your ideas to life and actually having those ideas due to maybe some of the gaps in the developer ecosystem tooling and infrastructure and stuff like that. And so having my background and what I've learned at Coinbase, I decided I'd just start a company and, and tackle those issues head on. And that's where Helios came from. Sick. Yeah, that's uh, that's cool. So I remember hearing an elongated version of the story when you did the podcast episode with Chase for the Chewing Glass series. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, I guess, with everything that's going on with like Coinbase right now, like you worked at Coinbase. Do you have any thoughts about all the dramatic? I'll say I'll just generically say SEC potential action on Coinbase. Do you have any thoughts since you worked there for a while? Yeah, I do have some thoughts around this. So having been in the internal company slacks and, and seeing how they operate and execute, uh, I think it's actually quite, I don't want to use the term bullish, but it's actually somewhat good in my view, because like Brian has put together, like when I was there, they would announce like new regulatory and legal hires all the time. And like, I would look these people up on like LinkedIn and they, they were just absolute chillers, like super competent people. The legal team and the regulatory team at Coinbase is actually 
probably the best possible team you could get in crypto. And the SEC can't even really win a case against Ripple. And now they think they can take on Coinbase while taking on like what, 20, 50 more other anti-crypto cases, right? And so I don't think there's a way that they win this. However, it remains to be seen if that will actually discourage people from building companies around crypto because they're scared, but because the court cases move quite slow. So, you know, some mixed feelings around that, but what I have no doubt that Coinbase would win in the end eventually. It's just a matter of how long is the case going to take, what mm-hmm. turns is it going to take, et cetera. So if I had to synthesize that, it's like long-term, you feel pretty bullish on this for sure, because it's like they're going to win and that will set some legal precedent that is good for the crypto industry. But in the short to intermediate term, just depending on how long the case lasts, mm-hmm. it's like maybe it does some damage in terms of people are too scared to start companies and take mm-hmm. some risks because they're not sure if they will also get called out by the SEC. Exactly. And I think that hurts the US more than anything. I don't yes. think the innovation stops anywhere else in the world. In fact, I mean, I'm not a big fan of El Salvador, but you, you they just you know released or they just stopped all income tax and on crypto and, and software development and, and stuff like that, right? I think there's somewhat of a real chance that the US actually does stop leading this industry. I think Tolly actually posted some sort of stat about how maybe 20% of the world's crypto devs were in the US and that number's actually declined since last year. And so it seems like it's more of a local problem, sadly, but you know, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, it's, I hadn't personally seen uh, Tolly's tweet, but that kind of wouldn't surprise me. Like one of the things that like, so 100% personal opinion, I think the SEC trying to take legal action against Coinbase is probably a it's going to deter some people because some people get scared by legal action mm-hmm. or, or potential legal action. They haven't really taken legal action yet. They've basically just given notice. I think like from my understanding of how Coinbase is like set up and a well funded and, and B set up is if you're pro crypto, that is hands down the best company for the U.S. government to try to go after because they're the most well-equipped to fight that battle. So it's like, it's it's going against the Goliath in the space. And I think I'm, I'm bullish on the, out, on the outcome of like getting a good result that is pro-crypto in the end. It might slow things down for a bit in the, uh, in the interim, but I think in the long term, mm-hmm. it's going to help with, especially with like how the US legal system is set up is it's all precedent-based. If you don't have precedent set then like it it basically just doesn't there's no guidance without the precedent in the u.s legal system so having this very strong precedent will will send ripples through time of how the u.s handles cryptocurrency and coinbase is definitely the company i think to fight that battle effectively yep i i agree i mean like the chief legal officer paul he's literally a former judge (laughs) so I mean, the team there is super talented and Brian himself, as you've seen his, his Twitter posts is a very determined to not back down from the SEC's bullying. So should be interesting, but hopefully it doesn't serve too many people in the intermediate term. For sure. Speaking of not backing down on Twitter, I feel like you've made a name for yourself over the last six <laughs> months or so, maybe longer. I don't know. As someone who doesn't back down on Twitter. 
I'm curious, is that a re- is that a recent thing for you? Or have you always just been like, I'm gonna speak my mind and give no fucks on Twitter? Yeah, I think that's actually an interesting question. I've always been like this, I guess, in, in real life, right? This is just my personality in real life and my co-founders will tell you this. And in the early days of when I started using Twitter, actually, my most famous tweet or my most engaged with or likes, let's say, tweet was when I had like 20 followers to this day. And it was like somebody, I think Morgan Housel, who wrote like a book called The Psychology of Money, he posted like, okay, what is something that nobody's talking about? And my response was something like how 70 to 80 year olds are usually like regarded as mentally declining and they can't get jobs due to like skill mismatch, but they're exclusively running the government. And like, I don't, I'm not too sure why that took off. I didn't think it was that good of a tweet. It was just me being angry at the government. And like, it got like close to 8,000 likes and it was on like Reddit's front page and, and stuff. And I was like, okay, interesting. And so I just kind of kept posting angry stuff. I mean, not actually angry, but like what I think is the truth, at least. They're hot takes. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I actually kind of made like a, a joke about this the other day. I've actually talked to some founders who will like talk to me and they'll say like they're, they don't want to post too much on Twitter in case they get in trouble. Like maybe their investors won't like it or maybe it'll cause them to alienate some customers or something like that. And basically my, and I tweeted a few days after that and I was like, you know, look guys, like the worst thing that could happen is the tweet will be around the internet forever and you'll be canceled and hated on and judged perpetually. Uh, It's no big deal. I remember (laughs) seeing that tweet. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So like, um, I don't know. I I just feel like um, it's just important to, to speak the truth or at least your version of it. Obviously, don't like harass people and don't bully anyone or, you know, do anything stupid like that. But if you think something is right, like point that out, talk about what you think is right. And I mean, it all comes from a place of wanting to improve the Solana ecosystem and crypto as a whole. Right. Like, so my intentions are how do we get crypto to be just just to progress forward? And here are some reasons why I think or some things we should do to accomplish that. And then I just post them. And if they're wrong, which is pretty much every single time, somebody will let me know and then I'll learn from it. And then maybe my next thought will be slightly better. And if it's true, then, you know, good good for me, I guess, Uh, you know, one rare time and I'm correct. But I just think open discussion is like super important and that people shouldn't be shy and especially not afraid to just post stuff. Anyway, that's my approach on it. But like, obviously, my personality is a little aggressive. So I, I tend to throw in some some uh some interesting jokes in there sometimes like yeah (laughs) it's funny that you say it's obvious your personality is aggressive because especially talking to you live that's not obvious right yeah for sure Uh, and even and even on twitter i feel like in context of of your broader twitter personality i wouldn't even call call that aggressive right it's like you definitely have some spicy takes that most of the time i agree with by the way like by spicy takes i don't mean like wow that's like way past the line i just mean like damn dude went for it and i'm kind of happy he did because i didn't have the balls to to do it right but context is everything right and like in context i don't think of you as like an angry person or an aggressive person i think of you as a passionate person right like someone who who definitely cares about the improvement of the crypto industry broadly and then more specifically like the solana ecosystem and that's a positive i think that's a good thing we need passion to move 
the ecosystem forward. Yeah, thank you for the kind words there. I don't think many people are quite as as, uh, nuanced as as you, but I appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, like a big thinker. (laughs) Philosopher James. Oh, that's a lie. I think, like, as I said before, like, it all comes from a place of wanting to improve the ecosystem. And before, especially like earlier on in my, I, I guess, career, I would have a bunch of ideas on how to improve stuff and maybe I'd like point stuff out that could be improved, but I never actually did, did much towards it. And now I think what's important is you just do the thing. I tweeted about something like this the other day as well. Like just do the thing, even if you're not like a hundred percent certain it's right. And like some DeFi folks, for example, don't post too much because they think they might be wrong or they might be judged or something by something incorrect they said, but I don't know, like what, what's the worst that can happen? Do you, you just get corrected and then you learn from it? That doesn't seem so bad to me. Cool, man. Well, look, I don't want to like harp on on the Twitter thing too much, but you do have a particular rant in the last few weeks that has like really struck a chord with me because I because of how much I agree with it, which is basically saying repeatedly, hey, if we don't solve for like actual use cases using crypto, none of this matters. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like we can argue about like academic type stuff or like semantic stuff all day long doesn't fucking matter if we don't like actually solve real use cases. So I'm curious, what sorts of use cases do you think crypto can solve for if we get our act together and actually do it? That's, um, yeah, I mean, that that's certainly a hard question. I, I can give my rough approximation of an answer here, but I think maybe even like some of the use cases that will be super useful haven't even really been thought of yet. At least that's the optimist in me thinking. There's some obvious ones, right? Like, for example, payments. I worked in payments my whole life. It's pretty clear that crypto payments are just better than anything else. They are, like, basically the the way that the existing financial system works is you just have a bunch of micro-walled gardens. Like, if you, for example, if I want to transfer money from here to my dad in Turkey, that's actually not easy at all. And it's certainly not cheap. And it's certainly not quick. So it just, it actually just sucks. It's, it's super hard to do. Whereas I can just, for example, with tip link or like Otter or something, I can just send him a link on the internet. He clicks that link on the internet. He then has the money, right? Now, then the problem becomes, okay, what do I do with this money? Because nobody accepts crypto, right? That's another thing we need to solve, right? Do we either get people to accept crypto or do we find ways to abstract that and do the conversions on the back end, right? So I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. I don't think I'm smart enough to really fully solve that problem, but that's a clear problem that crypto solves, right? Just open payments and open financial system. And that's actually Coinbase's mission, by the way, increasing economic freedom in the world. It is what they're working on. And I think it's what a good amount of folks are working on, but we're just not there yet. So payments is an obvious one. One thing that I've been pretty impressed with recently is the emergence of like decentralized or token incentivized physical infrastructure networks, right? So you have a Helium, you have a High Mapper, Render, Teleport, even Genesis Go, if you count, you know, Decentralized Compute, Rweave, stuff like that. I think that stuff is super cool and it clearly solves real problems. Now, those problems are super hard problems. And so they won't be solved overnight. And so they're more like long plays. But I think those are real problems being addressed. So that's another one that I think is quite useful. I think there are some hot takes that I have that I not sure if I should say, but <laughs> you've piqued my interest. 
Well, I mean, so, I mean, James's question was like, what problems do I think crypto solves? I was actually going to maybe talk about some of the ones that it doesn't solve as well, but. Um, I want to know that. I sure, want to know yeah. that. Because <laughs> people are probably building those things, thinking that they solve them with crypto, which you don't, they don't need to be like at all. There's a lot of those things built. There's a lot of the Grizzlython hackathon submissions just got to publicize that you can go to the list yeah. and, and view them. There's a lot of cool stuff that was built. And then there's a lot of stuff. It's like, eh, it doesn't really like show off crypto in like a good way. Not that it's like bad and like showing off like spamminess or things like that, but it's just like, it doesn't yeah. show off like the capabilities of what crypto is about and what it can do. Yeah. And I'll get to that as well. Maybe some other ones that I think are like super cool problems to solve that are actually useful. Um, so most people, when they think of crypto, they think of decentralization and not trusting people and, you know, having automatic enforcement and whatnot. And I think that's certainly valuable, but I think one part that's often missed and is actually arguably more important is the enablement of a globally shared permissionless state, right? So for example, it, like crypto is not just finances, it's like root access for your digital identity and finances, right? So for example, Twitter nowadays sucks. Like it's horrible, it's almost unusable. But at the same time, I can't get off of it because my network is fully dependent on Twitter, right? Whereas if the social graph was built on a blockchain, right? Perhaps with compression, a little foreshadowing there. Ooh, foreshadowing, I like it. <laughs> and so if that were the case, now I can fork out of Twitter and use any other social platform that allows me to port my social graph over. People sometimes give me trouble for this and say, oh, that's like a far-fetched use case. But I actually think it's quite likely and I think it will happen. And like, you know, I don't know, some people count digital art and digital collectibles as real use cases. I think they're certainly valuable. I'm not sure if they solve real, real problems, but I'm not an expert in that topic. And then DeFi, right? Like DeFi is super useful. Now, the thing with DeFi is that's going to require the most work because the incumbents are super powerful, right? Like actual financial institutions will not give up that authority that they have. But I think like DeFi, especially in, in this past year of just crises after crises, has shown that it's actually here to stay, right? Like you can see everything that's happening on chain is fully auditable. You can see reserves, right? All this stuff. Whereas all these centralized exchanges and banks, for example, are just blowing up because nobody has any idea what's going on. So I think DeFi is like a long play uh, and it's probably going to be the hardest one to win in terms of versus TradFi, but I think it's all super useful. Okay. And then now maybe some things that I think are overrated. So I think gaming is super overrated. And how I mean that is not that you shouldn't implement blockchains into gaming, but most people seem to think that you need to just create the game and then the only backend that it uses is the blockchain. So like every action must be on chain, et cetera, whatnot. That is just not like, don't do that. I mean, if you are going to do that, <laughs> go ahead, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to say don't do that. But the point of crypto in a gaming context is generally to like enable peer-to-peer -peer interaction in terms of like economic value transfer. Right? Like maybe you're playing RuneScape and you want to trade items with the other players or something like that. Now you can do that. You didn't have to implement literally every single action on the chain, which I feel like has been gotten wrong so far. So I think gaming perhaps is not as big of a use case as we all think it is. But I think, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that. And I think certainly a lot of people think I'm wrong about that, which is good. I don't know. I think like on the gaming note, to like interrupt you like mid thought <laughs> i think like on the gaming note it's like 
it's like people saying art is a real utility for blockchain. Like, I mean, it, like it, it does a thing. It gets a job done. I think gaming is kind of the same thing. Like it's another use case that you can build some portion. I also agree that everything shouldn't be on chain for a game. Like that just a economically doesn't really make sense unless you use compression. There <laughs> might that, but it just like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Certain actions do make sense to be on chain like item ownership where you could transfer them. You can have an actual usable digital economy. Mm -hmm. But like we haven't seen it done yet. So it'll be interesting to see once we have like AAA rated games actually produce something. But it's the same conversation of like, is art the utility? Is gaming the utility? It's not 100%, but it's a small portion of that pie, I think is how it ends up falling. Yeah. Well, there's like a, I feel like there's a couple of themes to, to what you said, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong as I, as I say them, but it's like you, you mentioned decentralization as a thing, but it's not, but it's not the end all be all that some people think it is. It's one important factor. Transparency is an important factor. This globally shared state can be super useful. There's all these little things. And to me, all of that kind of means increased optionality, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, Hey, if you are someone who's interested in digital art, then you want to trade NFTs. That's awesome. This provides a space for that to be possible in a way that it might not otherwise be cool. But it also is not like the end goal of crypto necessarily, right? Like crypto just yeah, opens agreed. up this world where it can be NFTs, it can be gaming, it can be payments, it can be DeFi. There's a whole bunch of things that we have increased optionality for because of crypto or mm -hmm. could have increased optionality, I should say, because not all of the things have necessarily been built yet. That's exactly right. And I actually think that's the problem. I think there's so many different options and it's so abstract in general that without meaningful opinionation and opinionated like frameworks, for example, people just don't know what to build, right? Like if you had built, I don't know, may maybe like Solana framed itself as like, this is a payments chain or something like that. And we, you built opinionated frameworks around that, then I bet we get much farther. Now, I don't think that's the right thing to do. But basically my point that I'm trying to make is stuff in crypto is so general and so abstract. And like you said, there's that optionality of, well, you can do decentralization, you can share state, it's immutable, it's transparent. There's all these kind of different pillars, but it's like, which one do you leverage and what do you build with it? Like, is there some sort of opinionated framework we can follow? For example, AI now has generative models and, and chat bots and stuff like that. AI has tons of different applications. That's just like the one that took off. I think it might be similar with crypto where there's a bunch of different things you can do with crypto, but it's like, okay, which one actually takes off and which one requires a concentration of resources and actually us sprinting towards it. Arguably, some of those have taken off, right? Like people do use payments in crypto as, as a legitimate use case. And I think that is something that that has taken off, but it isn't it isn't as wide reaching as maybe an AI chatbot where like mm -hmm. that's something literally everybody yeah, I think that not everybody like needs taken to off within the payments. broader crypto ecosystem, but not with, with like regular people in their regular day lives. Well, that's kind of what I mean is like not everybody needs to do cross-border payments as an example. So it's like there is a smaller subset of, of the world that impacts, mm -hmm. whereas like an AI yeah, chatbot is like that's something literally everybody can jump in and use right out of the gates. It's almost like this branding and positioning thing where it's which which problem was attacked first and how relevant is it to the broader population? Relevancy is a strong thing.
Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, and, and that's why I'm much more bullish on the shared global state aspect of crypto, because that enables you to build pretty much anything that you can build on web two, but in crypto this time, and uh, actually enable shared rails, which can lead to better composability between apps and stuff, which again, is quite an abstract topic, but I think there's big potential there. I think there's maybe another theme I didn't mention earlier, which is a lot of what you're describing. And th this is why I asked the question in the first place of like, what use cases do you see crypto uh, having is I, is I was curious, like what level of the stack do you see it fitting in? And a lot of the things you've mentioned, it sounds like you have this very pragmatic approach that I appreciate where you're like, I'm not saying that the crypto application needs to be like in your face. You know, this is crypto. It could be payments that like it's fiat, but it does conversions in the background and uses crypto to like actually cross borders and make it like transparent and quick and cheap and all these things. And I very much appreciate that. And it sounds similar with like what you're saying about a global shared state where you're, it almost sounds like you're saying it doesn't matter if the user knows that this is how it's working. What matters is that like there is this composability, this framework that can be ported between applications in a way that otherwise couldn't happen. And we should be building out the frameworks that support this. Yeah, I think that's certainly one big aspect of it. I think what I'd like to see, and by the way, uh, I actually, it's good you reminded me of this. There's this like thesis, and I'm not sure if this is even related, but there's this thesis that like in the future, blockchains will be like abstracted away from the users such that they won't even know what they're interacting with. And a lot of people seem to agree with it. And I swear, I'm not like trying to be like going against the grain on purpose, but like, I actually don't believe that. I think it's like, so for example, uh, I made like another post about this where it's like, you have like PS5, Xbox, Nintendo, you have Visa, MasterCard, right? And in the Visa, MasterCard chase, it's kind of abstracted away from you. I mean, not really, it's like a brand on it, but it's still kind of abstracted. But in other cases, like Windows versus Mac, for example, it's not abstracted. The difference is right there. Coke, Pepsi, right? You, you always kind of have this dichotomy in these computing tech. And then the way I think about it is, I actually think people might choose applications based on the blockchain itself. And I'll need to find this post and maybe link it when you guys post it. But there's somebody on the Ethereum core team who feels the same way, which I was inspired by. And so anyway, that's just kind of like a side rant. But I think my general point overall regarding this conversation and how I feel about it in general is just that we need to maximize the design space. One of the reasons why I'm super passionate and loud about Solana is because most of the posts I see is something like ETH already won, use L2s, Solana sucks, don't use Solana, right? I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically that. And that gets me super angry because it's like, well, we don't have a single product really with product market fit. So why would we shrink the design space even more before finding any products that work? It should be the complete Absolutely. opposite. You should be increasing the design space as much as possible because like Solana at least isn't like a complete EVM fork or clone, right? Like all these L2s and maybe some of the other L1s are all very much similar to EVM in some capacity where Solana is drastically different, right? Like you have the hardware focus, you have the parallelization focus, you have Firedancer, you have mobile, you have this pragmatic approach in a different community. You have a demographic of like quants and hardware geeks and Rust nerds, right? Stuff like that. So it's actually meaningfully differentiated such that you're increasing the probability that there's a more useful product in crypto because you're 
increasing the design space. And I think that's super important. And that's essentially my thesis behind everything. Yeah, it's like it, like the whole idea of Solana is like you have this, it's so dramatically different than Ethereum. It's not based on Ethereum at all, except for maybe the core principle of crypto and blockchain, completely different architecture, completely different language stack, hardware, all of that. Like Ethereum is now proof of stake. So that's like, at least that's like similar now, but it's it it raises the potential surface area of having two very different paths and we'll see which one survives. But like, think about all of these people that are saying like, oh, Solana doesn't have product market fit. Like if, if Solana's dead, like why not just use an Ethereum sidechain or anything? Like Solana's like two, three and a half years in. We just hit Genesis day like a couple of days ago, right? Mm. Think of all the crazy things that everyone was saying about Ethereum three years in. People were saying the exact same things about Ethereum. No one was using Ethereum. And we have far more adoption on Solana at three years when we're still technically in a beta mainnet, right? It's just, it's all relative and, and people yeah. don't, people have survivorship bias to it. That's, that's all it is. Yeah, that's super uh, fair. And like, yeah, I like to point out this hypocrisy as well when I'm trolling on the internet. <laughs> which is that Ethereum took like 10 years or I guess eight years technically to get to where it is today. Like people talk about how the burn mechanism is like so good and like how Solana sucks because it doesn't have it. And it's like, okay, it took Ethereum eight years to actually implement that. So it's not like it was just there in a second year. The merge, like sharding, now dang sharding, or actually maybe even proto dang sharding, I don't even, I actually have lost count. And then now there was L2s and then it's like, okay, well, there's Optimistic or there's ZK. Well, now there's actually L3s and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know. Talk the, about like tech the TLDR. Day. Yeah. Like the TLDRs, I don't think anybody has figured it out. Like nobody's figured it out. And so what we should definitely not be doing is telling people to stop experimenting. We should be telling them to experiment, build new stuff like Solana and explore the design space. And this is why it's a big theme or very good if you are building for a hackathon and you build something that's Solana exclusive right? Like an order book that can only be built on Solana because that shows you why Solana is necessary, right? This app could have only been built on Solana and that's therefore Solana is worth building out as a protocol in the first place because it can support stuff like this. I really appreciate the discussion of just like, we should be increasing the surface area of experimentation, right? It, mm -hmm. it, no matter it's what change, easy. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. The only way we it, get mass like, adoption, there's like maybe I, 2 million people that use crypto around the world. Like that's not adoption, right? Like we need more people well, to use well, it broadly. People make the comparison to like the internet in the early days fairly often. And I don't want to like overuse that because they're obviously not exactly the same thing. That being said, it's like the internet was around for like 20 plus years in some way, shape or form before it started to become this mainstream regular thing that people accepted. If you look at similar timelines with like crypto, we're still in the middle of that. Yeah, people know what this is, but it hasn't been accepted and we haven't exactly figured out how to use it well yet. We're mm -hmm. still in the experimentation phase. And so it's like, absolutely, I don't, not in a state where we should be pigeonholing ourselves in anything. It's, mm -hmm. It should just yeah, be maybe. like, like, which by the way is why I love that Solana does so many hackathons, right? And shout out to you, Mert, for like organizing one of the community-driven hackathons earlier this year. It, that's huge for just throwing shit at the wall 
and seeing what of this stands out and seems like something we should continue to pursue. And it's okay if 95, 99% even of those things don't work out because Mm -hmm. it's just eliminating things that we shouldn't continue to pursue so that we can lean into the things that we should, which I think is awesome. I do want to get back around to like compression because we talked about that being something we want to talk about a little bit more. So for Nick's sake, since he's been doing a lot there, I want to, I want to <laughs> make sure we get into that. I think this is a perfect time to segue into that because compression is a very recent thing and it opens up a whole lot of doors in terms of what you can do with crypto. So let's maybe shift gears a bit and, and chat about that. Nick, do you want to yeah, yeah, tee up sure. that conversation? So, so compression, state compression on Solana, get a super high level. I'll just give like a very quick like synopsis of like how it works. So like state compression takes this concept of a Merkle tree, which is basically a hash tree. It's just a cryptographic data structure. It puts it on chain. But with Solana, it does a special thing that's called the concurrent Merkle tree. Basically, just make it like super simple. It takes data that's off chain, such as compressed NFTs. Perfect example of this. It takes data that's off chain, cryptographically hashes that data. It sends it through a transaction. So that transaction data gets verified by the ledger, it gets stored through the ledger through like transaction metadata effectively, right? This information gets secured by the ledger because now you can verify that state has been saved. You just need things like indexers and whatnot to use it. Shout out to Mert and Helios with their indexing services. Um, Once you have all of that initial data, say like a compressed NFT, Every single compressed NFT in this Merkle tree all gets hashed together just repeatedly until you get to like a final hash that gets stored on chain. Anytime any of that underlying data changes, it's going to change the entire hash structure. So that entire, that like very last hash is going to change. So you can cryptographically verify any data off chain that you want. That's like a very broad, quick and dirty overview of like how state compression works whole bunch of contents being like developed for this and, and publicly announced all sorts of Twitter threads and whatnot. So we have a very unique opportunity to talk to Mert about this because the Helios team has really been pretty much at the forefront of state compression on Solana, both with like helping with indexing and getting those like indexing services off the ground. From my understanding, the Helios team specifically, I guess, Nick, like head of engineering at, at Helios is like, also helping develop standardization for the indexers, right? For my understanding, right, Mert? Yeah, um, I can maybe uh, explain what we're doing there and shed some light on exactly yes, yes, please do. You know how we're thinking about it. I'll also give maybe my explanation of what compression is, maybe slightly less technical, because I actually struggled with understanding it at first. It uh, took me two weeks to understand it, by the way. So like that, that, that single statement took me like two or three weeks to like get it down to a compressed level, no pun intended. Yeah. So it's not trivial by any means. The way I would describe it is this, right? So on Solana, everything is an account, right? If you're a Solana developer, you probably know this. And the way compression works is instead of storing NFT data in an account, you store it on the Solana ledger and that's it. That's pretty much it. The integrity between the two are maintained via Merkle trees, which we won't get into. But instead of, you're essentially trading off state data for ledger data. Now, state data, so accounts, are expensive because you use them for consensus, right? You need to be able to know what accounts have what kind of, you know, balance or data or delegates, whatever. 
when you're validating your verifying blocks. But with the ledger, that's not the case. And in fact, there's like a somewhat of a debate around this between me, Tolly, and, and maybe John. It, it's the ledger is technically it's not super clear if you can clarify, like call the ledger on chain or off chain. Now, you might refer to it as off chain because you can't actually use it within a smart contract. So it's not actually available to smart contracts unless you load it into an account. But at the same time, it's a part of the Solana ledger. And so it inherits the security and decentralization of Solana itself. Could you clarify just for listeners, like what you mean by <laughs> the ledger? So the ledger, just think of it as a historic recording of all transactions on Solana. So you're talking the actual chain of blocks here. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Specifically the transactions. I'm not going to like the way that it, yeah, it gets super complicated. Is, yeah. I, I don't want to get too, too complicated, but I'm just anticipating some people listening like, yeah. hold on account versus ledger. Right. And that's yeah. one of the so, hard things about the state compression conversations is like, it's a very nuanced difference. That's like, it, it's hard to understand if you don't have like more or less like a large technical background for it. Yeah. So if you are listening to this and you just get one thing out of this podcast about compression, basically it's just this, right? You are, instead of storing NFT data in accounts, which is expensive, you store it on the ledger, which is cheap. And if something happens to that data, its fingerprint doesn't match what's on chain in the account, right? So the, the, maybe getting a bit more technical, the, the way this works is all the ledger stuff is like hashed together and then it's stored in a Merkle tree or Merkle root on chain in one account. So instead of all these NFTs, you just store a hash of the root of the Merkle tree. And a lot of people have like this concern when you tell them that the, you have to interact with compression using RPCs and indexers, right? They're like, well, what if Helios like rugs me or like, what if the RPC goes down or something like that? And the good thing about it is since the data is actually stored on the ledger, you can actually replay from Genesis all the events that happened and derive the current state of those NFTs. The only thing that the indexers help with is ingest that data in real time and expose that state to you so that you can consume it for convenience. But you can absolutely do it yourself too if, if you like pain or if you have to do some you know catastrophic event. Which is no different than the rest of the blockchain, by the way, right? It's like yeah, exactly. you're always kind of trusting the node that you're going through a little bit unless you're separately going to go replay everything and build the state yourself. In fact, this is already how Ethereum works, which most people aren't familiar with, especially on Solana. <laughs> to get token balances on Ethereum, there is no call that you make that just gets the token balances, right? On Solana, you can because it's structured like a key value store. But on Ethereum, you actually have to go to the very first transaction and replay those and then add up the balances to get up to the person's current token balances. So this is actually pretty much like that. Except, I, didn't even, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, either. So that's it's, interesting. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's why I'm here. Uh, just, yeah, uh, learning all sorts of new things comparisons. today from, from Mert. I love it. I've probably written more Solidity smart contracts than I have Solana smart contracts. So now I'm feeling like a fool. Now you look I don't think it's a super shapes. obvious thing. By the way, uh, I got asked this question. It's like, can this be done on Ethereum, like compression? And the answer is probably, but it wouldn't really necessarily result in a net positive because storage and compute costs on Ethereum aren't comparable to Solana. Yeah, right? they're so different. I don't think it really makes sense as a comparison. 
But if you want to get really troll, the way to think about compression is actually that it's an L2 on account state. So instead of storing account data on the state, you store it on the ledger and it's an L2 technically speaking. I'm dying over here because it's it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, so uh that's it, that's it, that's exactly what it is. It's like you're basically doing the equivalent of a ZK roll up from from ledger to account state or the other way around. But the thing about compression is it's it's not zero knowledge. It's like a full knowledge roll up. Like you have to know all of the information. So specifically for like compressed NFTs, if you want to transfer ownership of a compressed NFT, you have to use the entire proof, which is basically a list of addresses you have to send with your transaction. Part of that is stored on chain in what's called the canopy. Super technical, won't get into it right now. But you have to provide basically a list of addresses effectively. And that is the proof to prove that you can correctly calculate that final root hash, that final value that's actually stored on chain. If your information is incorrect, the state compression program is basically like, nope, your information's wrong. You can't prove that you know the correct information. You can't transfer ownership. That's like at a very high level, level like how it works. So it's actually like a full knowledge roll up is where you have to know all the information ahead of time. So it's like, yeah, I, I just, when I like learned that, I was just like, oh, people are going to be upset about this and it's going to get like full troll mode and I love it. It's also just actually how blockchains work, right? Like the, yes. the way a blockchain works is like you just hash together the hashes of the previous blocks. And if you, if somebody changes in the past, then the final hash is going to be different. And so, you know, somebody tampered with it. It's yep. literally, it's 100% the exact same concept. In fact, there's almost no difference. So actually that's a good action item. If you're a salon developer and you listen to this, I would strongly recommend you internalize and understand how Merkle trees work and, and what they are. And I'm actually going to, I'll probably write a post on it soon on Kelly's blog or my blog or something like that. But I think it's super useful to know. Nice. Cool. I want to switch gears a little bit. So we talked about Helios and how kind of like services Helios offers. One of those services being the indexing service. I am personally very curious about how this indexing service kind of like works. So like, especially in, in the context of like state compression, because without indexing services, state compression is really, it's a bitch really. And like, I can only imagine how difficult and annoying it's being for you and the team at like, <laughs> at like running this indexing service just as like one organization, not to mention all the other organizations that are also supporting indexing infrastructure. Are you willing to share any either like pitfalls as like as a business of running these types of indexing services and like broader Solana infrastructure? And then also like your thoughts about running indexing specifically? Certainly. So th there's sort of two separate things in there. One is the compression indexing, right? Which is actually the way to interact with compressed NFTs is something called the digital asset standard read API that was designed by Metaplex. That's like this open source repo, the digital asset infrastructure repo, and you run it and it's all the stuff that you need to run compression and not actually just compression. It also helps, for example, if you want to get all the NFTs for a user, it actually indexes all regular NFTs as well as compressed NFTs. So that's quite helpful. You can get mint lists with it. Basically yeah, it's, just it's pretty legit. I've been playing with it and it's fucking phenomenal. If you want to do anything with NFTs, like it's next level. Yeah, it's a good product. It's a good design. Now, the thing is, of course, 
I think it was essentially just Austin at Metaplex and he was building, he was writing the code for it. And then it was like us and then Triton. And that's pretty much it. And obviously like John and Noah and from labs and stuff would help the theoretical side of things. But like th there were qu quite a few random issues and there still are, to be honest, where we actually had to just go and make PRs to the repo. And there are still some things we need to work on. It's a super complex system, to be completely honest. Like you need geyser plugins to function correctly. There's like a flush that happens, which means you get all the data that you miss and then you have to ingest it fast. But then geyser might have problems because geysers honestly kind of brittle if you're just using one node. And then obviously Chili's has stuff for this, but that's another conversation. Ooh. Like for example, one of the problems we're having right now is mixed up metadata. And we're working with Triton and Metaflex to help solve that issue. Uh, so there's some issues there for sure, but we're working towards them. So from an indexing company point of view, it's it's a lot of pain, but it's like a bet that we're taking that compression will actually be useful. And you can see this already with Dialects is using it, Crossmint is using it, Helium will be using it, Render referenced it in their paper to migrate the Solana. I, I've been talking with some other companies who I won't disclose who have been eyeing it as well. Drip House is using it. So I think it's a risk worth taking. You also mentioned like, okay, what does it look like to be an indexing company, Solana? So I, I guess maybe I'd try to clarify that up a little bit. We're not technically an indexing company. Yeah. So like, let we me don't... rephrase, let me rephrase the question to make it more clear to like, cause you're not an indexing company. Like from my understanding, Helios is a like RPC infrastructure data company where you're, you're basically making it a lot easier to get data from the Solana blockchain. So that way dApps and and like any really any other business or project wants to ingest data in order to use that data within their own application. That partially includes indexing. Yeah. So basically like to encapsulate all that, we just say Helios is a developer platform. But <laughs> and so it's easier for the investors yeah, to just yeah, say it's hey, a Um and I'll actually give a, bit, a brief background on this because I don't think I've actually talked about this in a podcast. Basically, the dilemma that I was having before, and like you've probably seen this recently with my rants about real products, is that there aren't any real products within crypto. And my hypothesis was that the process between having an idea and executing it, bring it to life, was too full of glass and pain and friction for developers. That's what I, that's what I, that, that was my original hypothesis, and I still believe that. And so I said, okay, well, the best way to influence that probability or that outcome is to build tooling that streamlines that process and makes it a paved road so that if you have an idea as a developer, you go on Helios, you bring it to life in moments and without spending money, like at least not breaking the bank, right? Like you do it at an affordable rate. And so that was the original idea behind Helios. And then I said like, okay, how do we make that into reality? And I decided that what doesn't exist right now is like a vertically integrated developer platform within a single blockchain. So what I mean by that is you have like the quick nodes and alchemies of the world. And the way they started was like, they made RPCs for like EVM and then they started duplicating that across other chains, right? Like maybe Solana, maybe Cosmos, maybe Arbitrum, stuff like that. And like, they were quite good at that. And it was just nodes, but then they start adding APIs. And then now they started adding webhooks and other stuff. And what ends up happening is that you start losing focus on that single one chain, right? And I, I made like a troll tweet about this, like an info provider to all is an info provider to no, no one, Aristotle, right? like, a, like a quote <laughs> like that. 
It's beautiful. Um, I think that was Abraham Lincoln that said that. Yeah, I think he was a big salon maxi. Yeah. Essentially, the hypothesis now is, or like following back up on what I said earlier, is like, well, we need this company to be, or this solution to be vertically integrated all the way from the bare metal, like servers that you run, RPCs, RPC add-ons, all the way up to the developer abstractions, SDK, right? Because then you form real empathy with the customer and the users, and you actually understand their pain points. And that's the idea behind Helios, is to be vertically integrated across the stack for salon developers to help bring their ideas to life. Beautiful. I love it. I have personally used Helios for like some personal projects and testing with a lot of the compression, I'll say compression shenanigans I've been doing. And it's good. I like it. Ergonomic, one might say. It's definitely accurate that like the developer experience on Solana versus EVM is so drastically different mm -hmm. that that it is impossible to provide the same level of service and ease of use that Helios provides if you're trying to tackle it just across the board. Yeah. And like one thing that I even forget sometimes is like we kind of just started. We released like an early beta in like mid-October. So it's only been a few months since we started. Whereas like Impressive. these other developer platforms have been around for like a year and a half, two years or longer. So we've actually been super focused on this mission and um you know like for example if you and i do some research on this right like I, I try to google how to be a crypto developer or something just to see what newcomers would see uh, and like it's all evm or like i don't know scams but like it's all solidity it's all ethereum and basically the idea is we build a developer experience that's so pristine and so well polished on solana that people actually choose solana for the developer experience like the goal is to bring people onto Solana, not expand chains to get like a few thousand more users. It's no, we actually want like a million more developers to come onto crypto. And the best developer experience in crypto is on Solana. So that's obviously ambitious, but I think it's possible. And like, I think a big vision like that at least keeps me motivated. And it's part of why I'm so passionate about just Solana and crypto development. It's like Solana already had an edge in having people build on Solana in that it's cheaper. But now with compression, it's literally possible for a company like Dialect, for example, to foot the bill for like minting their sticker packs, for example, mm -hmm. using compression because it's the price of minting these NFTs to everybody has just been slashed, mm -hmm. right? Like that's literally something as, as a, you know, if you're trying to start a business or you're just a dev who's trying to work on a random project, it's like you can't afford to just give stuff to your users on EVM, but on Solana, you'd be like, yeah, I throw a hundred bucks at this or a thousand bucks at this and it goes a long way. Yeah. Like as, as yeah. a data point, like with compressed NFTs, you can mint 1 million compressed NFTs for like five soul. Alternatively, if you use non-compressed, it's like 12,000 soul. Like that cost difference is so dramatic that it makes it like cost effective for any like traditional web two business or even web three native business to be able to easily subsidize costs for their users because state mm -hmm. compression on Solana doesn't just have to be used for compressed NFTs. Yes. Compressed yeah. NFTs is like the new hot thing. It's almost like the first primary use case for state compression. I won't even ask Mert about like the, the indexing difficulties that I know they're going to incur with trying to index non-compressed NFTs, like 
to index state compression type information that are not compressed NFTs because it's going to be a very interesting engineering problem for them to solve and other companies to solve and anyone using like the DAS API or or anything else that gets developed around it. But like mm-hmm. it makes it so companies can subsidize experiences for their users. Take any social media platform. The grand majority of people do not pay for social media directly out of their pocket. You might pay in terms of, you know, advertising and time spent, but like you're not paying, well, unless you're one of those people that are paying $8 a month for a check mark. Most people are not, Mert raises his hand. He's like, yeah, it's me. You got me. Most people are not paying to use social media because that is fronted by the cost of the given platform, whether it's Facebook, and I refuse to call them meta, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or insert any other company here. With compression, it makes it so it's like a non-starter to like subsidize that cost to like add additional functionality to website and services and apps. It's once compression is more more adopted, it's going to be a fucking game changer. And I'm so excited to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be quite exciting. And like you said, it, most people don't realize and it's not that they don't realize it's because we actually just haven't told them. That's a, that's like, exactly what it is. We just haven't told them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, uh, you know, compression is a general primitive that applies to accounts in general. It's mm-hmm. And NFTs are one instance of an account, but it can be for anything. It can be for DeFi orders. It could be for fungible tokens. For example, uh, I think Gum and Sheck are yes. using it for social graphs, right? So With an asterisk. That's a good example. I'm actually going to talk right. with Check next week, so we'll probably release a podcast episode about it. So more foreshadowing. I love it. <laughs> well, sweet. I think we talked a lot about like a lot of really cool things. Some of them a little lighter, some of them way more technical. So uh, apologies to the less technical listeners, but this is all like super important stuff to to understand, at least at a high level, I think, if yeah, you're involved sure. in the ecosystem. So thank you, Mert, for- yeah, Thank you so much. A, a, a for like joining us and having the conversation, but also just for everything you do in the Solana ecosystem, you are a force to be reckoned with. How you are able to like help out in the ecosystem in addition to running a company is beyond me, but please don't stop anytime soon because the rest of us benefit from it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just have no life. So uh, no, no worries there. I'll be here for a long time. <laughs> having a life is overrated. Sleep Over, is for the Apparently week. overrated. Okay, let's not let's not knock on my sleep, Nick. Come on. Do <laughs> you want some sleep in a cup? I got some sleep in a cup for uh, you. All right, all right. Um, well, cool. This is this has been a fun conversation. Let's do it again sometime. Best mm-hmm. of luck with all the problems you're solving it uh, solving at Helios. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for having me. And I think we really need to produce some more content on Solana. And you guys are doing God's work here. So thank you for doing that. 